Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, The Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, The Casting Patriot, The Annual Bay Community Register, The Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. The time is just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with host Cynthia Swan is up next. Hi, and good morning. Uh, it's Cynthia Swan here for Healthy Options, and today's topic is flu vaccines, and immunity. My guest today is Dr. Christopher Leroy Maloney, and let me give you a little information on uh, Dr. Maloney's background. His BA is from Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. He has a diploma in continuing health studies from Harvard. He has a four-year medical degree from the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon. He has his national science boards and clinical medicine boards under his belt. And he studied for a year in Singapore and Malaysia, studying medicine with homeopaths, naturopaths, and osteopaths, as well as traditional Chinese healers. He is licensed in the state of Maine as a naturopathic doctor. And I like this that he says on his website, which is incidentally... Um, you could just even Google him, Christopher Maloney, N.D., and you'll you'll get him. And um, he says, I am a doctor who finds alternatives to drugs or surgery. I believe the body can heal itself if given the proper support. Support must be individualized with you as my partner in decisions. It may include lifestyle changes, nutrition, body mechanics, and botanicals. If it will affect treatment, I order both standard and specialized lab work. Occasionally, I also prescribe pharmaceuticals, but they are rarely necessary. And um, my guest can be emailed at docleroymaloney at hotmail.com and a phone number, 623-1681. Welcome, Dr. Maloney. Cynthia, this is great. Um, so, yeah, you've given all the information. I would actually add that... Uh, uh, my website is www.maloneymedical.com, and Thank I've you. actually uploaded everything we're going to talk about onto the website already. So oh, wow. It's all up there under swine flu, so if people are saying, where did you get that information? I have it all up there. It's all. Uh... Oh, that's excellent. And I just want listeners to know this will be a call-in show, but I want to give uh, Dr. Maloney a little chance to answer some questions before we start taking calls. So we're not going to take calls until... Um, the break at the half hour, and um, let, let's dive right into it, Dr. Maloney. Okay, sure. um, what's the flu? What are the signs and symptoms? The signs and symptoms of the flu, and it's interesting because I actually, when I mean, you asked me this, I said I went back to the Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, and the idea of a common cold is just, you know, viral infection. The flu is just shortened for influenza. It's a, it's a, it's a slang term for influenza. So it's all, we're all talking about the same thing. It's your nasal, it's your upper respiratory illness. You're, you've got your nose is running. You might have a slight fever. Um, you're really not, uh, you've got fatigue. Um, it's, 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 it, isn't a, it isn't a distinct term. Um, but in this particular case, we're talking about the novel, uh, or the, they're calling it the 2009 swine flu influenza, and this particular influenza, and uh, this was helpful for a lot of people when I talked to them, was that this particular influenza also seems to add to that 
um, a sense of nausea, um, diarrhea, um, this kind of gastrointestinal uh, complication. Um, that's, the, that's the major difference for, for the average person on the street of do I have the influenza or the other one, uh, or the normal influenza or the swine flu one. It's very much the, uh, it's the diarrhea aspects. And that's what differentiates it. Who, who's at risk for the flu in general and for the swine flu? Um, generally, and uh, this is, I mean, actually everything I'm going to be saying is pretty much from the cdc.gov website. So mm-hmm. it's, um, uh, the, uh, most people on a given year who are over, you know, 60 to 65 are at the risk for not only just the flu, but major complications from it. Um, so on a, on a given year, uh, they estimate 36,000 deaths from the flu. Um, and the majority of those are from pneumonia, and the majority of those people are older. Uh, than 65. Uh, in this particular flu, the swine flu, people, the, 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 the trumpeted uh, thing is that the pregnant women are getting it and the kids are getting it. And what they're not saying, which is right on the CBC website, is that it seems that people over 60, this particular swine flu, about a third of them already have antibodies for it. So it's a novel flu for most of us, but if you've been around over 60 years, you probably already saw this guy again before. And so all of the numbers that we're seeing, all the increased risk for the kids and the increased risk for the pregnant mothers, are really in context to the fact that older people are not dying of this flu. Um, I mean, I think they just said, uh, they said few deaths. What is few deaths? I'm not even sure what that number is. But they really haven't, been, they haven't seen the traditional kind of you're already old and you've got a number of other complicating illnesses and then you get the flu and then you get pneumonia. That hasn't happened as much as it normally would. And so it's... it's so all, this, all the, t- the kind of scared part of it is, oh, my gosh, the mothers are going to get it and the kids are going to get it. But those guys traditionally haven't, they've, they've gotten it, but they've traditionally been a much smaller proportion of the total. In this case, this year, they're, they're seeing a lot more of focus on them, mostly because you're not seeing it in the older population. So here's, here's the big question that I think um, raises a lot of flags for everyone about in terms of the H1N1 right. vaccine itself. Mm-hmm. And um, so can you speak to that? And um, also this, the, the question that is, um, people are grappling with is should they get vaccinated? Okay. So let's, let's back up and I'll speak first as a public health person. As a public health person, you've got to realize that our mandate is to vaccinate all of you all the time. Right. That's right. <laughs> there's really no, there's no bad vaccine in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking at that, that mindset, um, you're really looking at this and saying, okay, we should, we should do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's also put it clear, the, the World Health Organization has gone to DEFCON 6. I mean, this is basically the nuclear strike option. They are at high pandemic alert and have been since last year. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, if I had been the geneticist who saw this, vac- saw this virus at first, I would have done the same thing. It's got about half the avian flu stuff and half the swine flu stuff, and it's got human-to-human transmission. So that's, that's all you need to hit that top button. Mm-hmm. Um, but what has happened in the last year since, it, since the pandemic alert went up was that we're not seeing the deaths that we thought we were going to see. Um, we're not seeing the drop-off. And, in fact, the flu, they arbitrarily reset the calendar in August of this year to kind of start counting the flu season again. But this flu that we're seeing, the new swine flu, the novel one, has been around in Maine since spring. I've seen numerous people with, with symptoms similar to this. I have seen, you know, we've had this around since the springtime. It's not new to us. Right. So a lot of people have already been exposed to this flu. 
um, if they've had symptoms that you know if they you know they did, most of us don't go in and say okay you know document me for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's that piece. Uh, when you look at the actual, uh, so okay, the public health. That's the end of the public health person. Now me as an individual, I would say okay, should I personally get the swine flu vaccine? And what I what I'd say about that is that. Um, when you do the statistical analysis of who gets the flu and who doesn't, getting the flu, swine flu, getting a, a flu vaccine, now the swine flu one, the novel one that's just coming out today in Maine, I know nothing about and neither does anyone who's promoting it because we really don't have any much, very much information about that. But the traditional vaccine, which they're saying this is as that, um, so that traditional vaccine, that is actually... Um, doesn't give me a statistical improvement on chances of getting the flu or not. There's about a 6% difference whether I'm going to get the flu. I might get a less virulent or nasty form of it. But if you said to me, does everyone vaccinate for the flu because it really helps? My answer is no. And the reason for that is that traditionally it takes about 18 months for the flu vaccine to come up through the system. By the time 18 months has passed, the flu itself, the virus, has mutated enough that it can bypass the vaccine in almost all cases. And so you just need a, a slight variation in that virus, and then it can a- access you regardless if you've had the vaccination or not. And so that, that basically, from an independent standpoint, I mean, I've got online multiple cases of, you know, the analysis that says basically a healthy population or anywhere, any population except elderly individuals in institutions doesn't get any benefit from this vaccination. That's, I know that's just terrible from a public health point standpoint. They're all just rolling around. But from, our, from an individual standpoint, I'm not going to get a statistical benefit from this. Um, well, and isn't it true for the um, regular flu? I mean, it, it, doesn't it work that, uh, you know, every year the, uh, uh, you know, there's a, a group that is sent to Asia to right. look right. at what is the most virulent strain of flu, right. and then they come back and they guesstimate... Um, you know, what, you know, what, what's going to actually, you know, how they're going to develop this, you know, this year's vaccine, the upcoming fall, vaccine for the fall. So it really is, I mean, I'm sure it's a, you know, a good guesstimate, but right. nonetheless, it's a guess. You're, you're, as the public health official, you're looking for the holy grail. You really think that if you can find the exact match, you can wipe out the flu this year. And that, on a traditional year, would, would save 36,000 people. So that's what they're looking for. It just hasn't worked out. <laughs> well, I heard another um, number, you know, of yeah. that 36,000 people right. on the CDC website that, you know, um, are affected by the flu, that the actual deaths are, um, when, they, when they're tracked back, can actually be about 1,000. I mean, a very right. small number. Right. And that is due to the complications to, uh, like, pneumonia. Right. That's actually, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about swine flu killing people, it doesn't. Even the new one doesn't kill people. What happens is if you've got, you first off, if you want to make yourself a really nice case for, for getting the flu, what you do is you give yourself a couple complicating things like, say, emphysema, cystic fibrosis, you know, out-of-control diabetes, something that's going to really make your system sensitive and vulnerable. Then you give yourself a nasty case of the flu, and then you get yourself exposed to some bacteria, and the pneumonia bacteria is the most, you know, the, the favorite part here, but any bacteria will work, and that gets a secondary, that secondary infection is actually what's going to kill you. And so that, when they start talking about, like, the pregnant women, I'm like, all these pregnant women that died, the, first off, there wasn't that many. There's, what, 28? 
mm-hmm. uh, nationwide, but they all died of pneumonia. They all died of secondary bacterial infections. They didn't die of the flu. They, they you kind of, you know, the, the, to, we don't do that with other things. Don't backtrack and say, okay, this is the flu that caused this illness. And the, the arbitrary number of 36,000, I mean, what, 35,999, and then, oh, we got our 36,000th one, we're done for the year. No, it's, it's an arbitrary number. It's an estimate. And so there really isn't any data behind that. So it's, I mean, it, it's, my, my answer is that basically the problem I have as a doctor who's trying to help people is that the CDC is, is got dual practices here. They're supposed to report the adverse events from vaccinations, and they're supposed to promote vaccinations. And they promote vaccinations great, but they are terrible about reporting side effects. And they're terrible about reporting what could happen to you. Because their primary mission, as they see it, is to say, vaccine good, vaccine good, vaccine good. And like, well, vaccine complicated issue, like everything else in medicine. <laughs> but at the same time, if you know, we go to the other sites, websites on, uh, you know, that you see with vaccinations, it's like, vaccines are terrible, they will kill you. And I'm like, well, not necessarily. They won't necessarily kill you. They're not necessarily the best thing for you. Um, but... From the CDC, we should be seeing a, a balanced presentation. What was it? Just last night, the CDC, the head of the World Health Organization, announced that they did have the first cases out from from China. They had done 39,000 people had been vaccinated, and uh, and they had four adverse events. Four. Mm. And I was like, four? Wow, that's that's remarkable. You know, actually, when I look at you know, uh, a, a study, and this is on, web, on my website, uh, a study of people in the United Kingdom, kids in the United Kingdom, um, they actually, half, uh, half of these kids had runny nose and nasal congestion after the vaccination, and 70% of them had injection site reactions. So those Chinese people must be just way better than the 70% of the kids who got it in England. Mm. Uh, so I'm like, if you're going to play this, oh, and we also saw last night they announced a Small study from Mexico, a <laughs> 60 people, mm-hmm. saying, okay, this vaccination um, uh, might help. The, the traditional regular vaccine might help with the new swine flu vaccine. But I looked online, and again, the, Australian, the Australians have already had this this season. They've gone through, and they say, for, they say um, basically, in a nutshell, there's no in- evidence of significant protection from seasonal vaccine against the pandemic influenza virus. So the Australian government has said, we vaccinated all of our people with the regular flu vaccine, and it didn't help at all. Right, right. I've read studies like that reported, too. And, and I think it was, who is the, uh, the head of the CDC? Is it, I think I want to say Thomas Friedan. Yeah. Friedan. Yep. I think he even went on record saying yep. that most of the population would be fine, right. even if they weren't vaccinated. So, well, it, but he's he's changing his tune. This last day, he's saying we should get. I think yesterday he said we should get both. We should get both. But again. the CDC's website saying, as of yesterday, the CDC's website said, and I quote: "The seasonal flu vaccine is not expected to protect against 2009 N1H1N1 flu." Then That's why a, get it? I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, that's exactly what I. Yeah. It's like, like, I, I so really why should we all rush to the clinics or to our uh, health providers to uh, get shots? So, so let, let's talk about the other side of this. Let's talk about the concerns that um, many citizens and providers, healthcare providers, have about um, uh, the vaccines, what's in the vaccine, and. Um, 
the possible complications due to vaccination for some of our, especially our very young, because I believe that they actually recommend, when I say they, I mean the CDC, is recommending that children as young as six months get vaccinated. Yeah, this has been an ongoing thing. Now, we should recognize, remember, that they're actually, the CDC is in charge of gathering these, the, the reports of adverse events. And so if you go online now at thebears.com, I mean, you can download all the raw data, but they've done no analysis for you. So it's very difficult to, to, to kind of figure anything out. Um, so uh, backing up, let's think to ourselves, okay, I'm a CDC, and I want to promote this vaccine. I have to get it out quickly. Um, it has, it's got an exemption for the Simersol rule. Now, Simersol is mercury, right. um, and it doesn't statistically cause problems. So when you say that, when you look at the overall U.S. population, you say it doesn't cause problems with that group. But within a subgroup of individuals who are already, you know, kind of they have bad, system, the bad immune systems to begin with, it can cause issues with that group. So it, it, that, the problem is, is if, you, if you ask the global question, is, this gonna, is the Simrosol going to give you neurological problems? The answer is no. If you ask the secondary question, is there a subgroup of the U.S. population, which will get serious neurological problems from this Simrosol, the answer is yes. Those people are already at risk for a number of other illnesses. They're actually the high-risk group. So you're vaccinating these people, and the, the idea is that you've got cystic fibrosis, you've got these, these other things that are going to make you more susceptible, so we vaccinate you. The problem with that is when you actually check whether or not you've got antibodies to the vaccine, you don't. I mean, healthy people, about 70% respond to the vaccine sick people, about 30% respond to the vaccine. So hence the general CDC rule of vaccinating twice. They vaccinate the little kids not just once, but twice. This particular flu vaccine has got an exemption from that. You only have to vaccine people, vaccinate little kids once. But that's obviously an expediency thing. They're really not, that doesn't make any sense in terms of vaccinating them. So once you vaccinate that little kid, a healthy little kid, probably going to be fine. A non-healthy little kid, may have serious neurological effects. And I actually tracked this down last night. I was looking and I was trying to find, okay, look, let me just prove this to people. And actually it came out October 1st, 2009. Um, basically the macaw monkey is the closest thing we've got to us in terms of genetics. And um, standard thimerosal, you know, the standard vaccination with thimerosal, uh, in exposed animals there was a significant lay in acquisition of the three survival reflexes, the rooting, the snouting and sucking, and um, the ability to latch on to the mother in the monkeys. So these monkeys received the standard vaccination dose of mercury, and they had a delayed response in what would help them with their survival. So that is, you know, those concerns are why we pulled Thimerosal from every other vaccination for children. And yet the flu vaccine gets an exemption because we want it to come out fast and we want people to take it now. And right. So I would say that basically there's going to be, there are going to be neurological effects. For the most part, they will be denied by the government. So the, the, company, the, the corporation that manufactures the vaccine has already got you know, immune from liability. And for the most part, you're not going to see that stuff reach the public because every time there is something like that, it gets settled by the government, but they usually sign a waiver saying we won't go public with this information. Right. It's, 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 it's part of, if you go back to the public health mandate, I need, to, I need to convince the U.S. population every vaccine is good, even the ones with the Thimerosal, because 
we're not going to take responsibility for the fact that we might have caused a problem for any of these kids. And it's my understanding that now this I got off of yep. the Mercola website yep. about the live virus, that yep. the actual nasal spray that they're recommending has right. live virus in it. Yep. It's a weakened live virus. And, and the, I mean, the, the statistics, at least from England, are dramatic, that basically the majority of people who receive this live virus will have some side effects very similar to the flu. Uh, that virus will then be in the sinuses of those individuals for up to two weeks after taking the, the virus. So what we're doing is basically inoculating the entire main population with what you will basically sentinel spreaders. So if we didn't have the, fly, the H1N1 here already, we will in a week or two. Right. <laughs> um, other uh, additives, squalene. Yep. Uh, speak to that. Well, the, the eight, CDC does not say anything about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're not saying that it's even in there. They're saying this is exactly the same as every other, every other flu and a vaccine, and it's totally safe, and it's fine. Um, the idea that, that uh, you're putting in, they sped this up from 18 months to from the spring forward. So, of course, they're putting in an immune-boosting thing. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to trigger an immune response, a rapid, more rapid immune response in people. But in a certain subgroup of people, it's not going to be processed well by their livers, and it's going to cause side effects. Well, and isn't one of the side effects, isn't it like it, it can cause an autoimmune yeah, reaction? Of course. And, and that's, that's, you know, we, and we, it seems to me that now, more than uh, 40 years ago, we have, I, I don't want, I'm not going to use the word epidemic, but we have a lot of autoimmune disease. Right. Uh, is, is, could, could that not, is it, is it logical to kind it, of at least consider that it, it could be, be in part to vaccination? It, well, okay, so that's a broader question. Let's talk specifically about injecting your child with squalene right now. Okay. My chance is that there will be side effects for a small group of those individuals. If your child already has asthma and you inject them with squalene and then expose them to their asthmatic thing, they might end up in the emergency room. And they, right. they may actually do. I mean, actually, I think I've got a couple, I got a couple examples from the VAERS website where that actually happened. You inject the kid and the kid ends up in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to happen. It, and it's not going to. It's not unexpected. It's kind of part of the collateral damage of fighting the flu. Now, the broader spectrum, and the, the idea that we're getting autoimmune diseases in general, and we're getting vaccination events. The problem is, is when when you start trying to tease out. Okay, this vaccine is causing this problem. Um, well, it's fair to say. Look, we're, the average kid is going to get 45 different vaccine events in their lifetime. We've gotten so far that we have to break up the early childhood vaccines and the adolescent vaccines now. So we're giving more and more and more, and no generation prior to this has experienced that. Yeah, I, so. I was reading something that before the age of two, right. our kids have had already 29 vaccines. Right. It's, and it's, and it's, it's, it's not common sense for the individual. It makes a lot of sense from a public health standpoint. Public health standpoint, you want to get everybody in early. The kids will be there anyway. You hit them with the vaccines early on. But from a common sense standpoint, I'm sorry, wait a second. If a mother is breastfeeding, as she should be, as according to the American Pediatric Association, at least for the first year, the vaccine goes in. She has antibodies. Those antibodies are being transferred to the breast milk. How much, what is the residual antibodies that are held by the child? Is the child actually manufacturing its own antibodies? Or is it actually a decreased response 
mm-hmm. oh gosh, it is a reduced response because we keep injecting the kid again and again and again. You'd think once enough. No, you do it two or three times because you're making sure that every kid's going to get a response. But some of those kids, by the way, did have a great immune response the first time around, and then you basically hit them with the hep B or whatever two or three more times. And so in a subgroup of those people, they're going to have a hyper-response to that. Their body's going to become very, you know, it's like, wait a second, every time I turn around, there's this crazy thing being injected in me, and my body's already responding to it dramatically. And now I'm going to get kind of antsy and respond, start responding to, say, dust mites. And it's just, it's part of the, not everybody, it's the 1% to 2% outliers, but that's enough to make a dramatic kind of epidemic difference in autoimmune. It's, it's, it's part of, when you start looking at it, from, okay, is this likely to happen? That makes a lot more sense than saying, oh, no, that's never going to happen. What, you know, if someone says this is no, this is no, they can say it's not, it's not statistically significant for the population. When you count everybody, not everybody's getting this response. Of course not. But right. if you start looking at, okay, these, this group of kids that are already got asthma before we started injecting them, and then you start teasing that out and going, okay, wait a second, we're getting a lot more response to this vaccine than we thought we would get. I'm like, yeah, that group, if we start doing those large, those like smaller scale studies, we would start to see, okay, this is a significant, this is a significant thing. Well, and the other concern I have is, have there been any epidemiological studies on, um, uh, on people who have uh, gotten a flu shot every year for say, you know, 30, 40 years of their life? And, um, you know, that in their system, you know, can that, can that cause you know, is that uh, problematic for other um, other health issues? It, the, I actually tried desperately to find that information. They have done nothing. They've yeah. done. They haven't tracked people. Right. They aren't tracking people at all. And so it's it basically when you go to the bears, you go to anywhere. There's no that information's not available anywhere. I did do. I have got stuff for like different subgroups. Say like you've got the AIDS population. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you know, they basically said it doesn't make the AIDS worse. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're like, okay. So they're also, basically what's happening, it, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a confounding thing here in that, um, you know, for people, you know, generally what you want to do is you want to inject the influenza, you know, the, the flu vaccine into the older population every year. And so those guys are getting it every year. But because they're already sick, the antibodies that they respond, the antibodies that they respond with, are uh, drop off within about four months. Mm-hmm. So basically, injecting people now, let's say October, November, December, January, February, we're going to start seeing people get uh, you know ill again. So it's not that you know is they didn't you know they're not going to be tracking something like Simersol, but they'll be tracking just does the flu itself you know does it cause antibodies? And because the major you know the the kind of the primary focus most years is the elderly population who don't mount an antibody response generally for an extended period of time. By the time you give them that shot again, it's not giving that dramatically. However, I did find uh, the, the, the thing here for is, you know, right now we're talking about kids. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, hair, mercury, and breastfed infants exposed to the Thimerosal Preserved Vaccine. Um, so according to the CDC, the Thimerosal is not a problem because it comes out of the body within a few hours. Mm-hmm. According to hair analysis, of the mothers, the mother's mercury went down about 57% in their hair, and the kids got about 446, 446% increase in their hair mercury. Wow. So if you're looking at that one, you go, wait a second, you mean the stuff is in the system? It's not in the bloodstream. No, they, they actually do the checks in the bloodstream. It's not in the bloodstream. It's gone intracellular. 
basically the body's going, hey, look, this looks a lot like the metals I need to live, and I'll put this right into play. So the kids are getting that directly into the system, and it's staying in the system a lot longer than... than and this is, this is stuff that's just come out. What is this? This is, this is since 2007. So it's, but it's not being given a lot of um, play because it's counter to the drumbeat of we must say that vaccines are good, we can't prove that they are bad, um, and wouldn't it be great if we actually had a separate agency monitoring adverse events? That's what I would think. Yes. You know, I think it's a counter. It, it, what happens is that, you know, like when Mercola.com, and, and you know, Dr. Mercola is a great guy, but he, you know, he sounds shrill. We all, I mean, anybody who's saying anything against vaccines sounds very shrill right. because, you know, well, the, they would tell us. <laughs> I'm like, they would, but... I'm, I'm, in this situation, the FDA approved the swine. It's already the FDA has approved the swine flu right. vaccine, and the new one. It's already been approved, mm-hmm. and oh, and they've also said that it's once a day. It's a one a one time shot. And I'm like, based on what? What studies have been done? Did you publish these studies? Did anybody else look at this? No, we just said it's already fine. Yeah, and that's it, what's scary. I think, yeah, and it, and I I think um, you know I think that that's what certainly the American population is. Uh, some are kind of up in arms about this is that we haven't had the studies, we haven't had full disclosure, and um, people are concerned. I want to just shift before the break. We've got a couple minutes, but I want to just shift quickly and and ask you, um, what what course of treatment would you recommend, do you recommend for your patients with the flu? Okay, at this point with this flu, um, we, we really want to see good bacteria in the gut because of the diarrhea factor that's making things worse. With the uh, H1N1. H1N1 H1 has got the diarrhea going on. That, I think, is what's, what's giving us our higher levels of pneumonia, if, the, if that is, in fact, true. Mm-hmm. Um, so the good, good probiotics in the gut. If it's just yogurt, okay. But, I've got, you know, if you can actually get some good bugs. Um, to prevent it, uh, I've just did it. I did it again. It's on This Is Online. Uh, the elder black elderberry is a marvelous local... Um, plant and it actually blocks it. Just the new study just came out. It blocks the H1N1 novel virus better than Tamiflu. And elderberry isn't that really high in vitamin C? It's very high in vitamin C. It actually, when you look at the test tubes, it actually seems to gum up the virus. Wow! It actually blocks it from going. And it's been, it's been, it's, it's been helpful against every influenza virus uh, up until this point, but because it's not patentable. Because um, it's an herb, right? Now, um, what, what's the recommendation? All right, so let's say, I mean, is it based on body weight? How much do you take? Where should you get it? I mean, we have a lot of local herbalists right. who have these elderberry syrups and whatnot. Right. How much do you take? I have experimented, what I've experimented on myself to have about, uh, I've, done, I've done, you know, had the flu coming down with the flu and done a four-ounce bottle, and about 45 minutes later, the flu's the traditional, the traditional model is to do a couple, teaspo- table, couple tablespoons two or three times a day if you're coming down or if you think you've been exposed. And, and the idea of prophylaxis or, like, you know, taking it between times, we don't have any big, we don't have big studies on it. But the actual flu itself, it blocks the virus. The, the studies we do have say that it shortens the duration of the flu from six days to about two days. Um, and that's a couple tablespoons twice a day. Just a couple tablespoons. A couple tablespoons. But because I'm, you know, I'm kind of guy I'm like, look, I want it gone now, I might do, you know, half a bottle at a sitting. And the toxicity here, I mean, this is elderberry. It's basically in jams. Right. You really can't kill a rat with this stuff. 
Yeah, it really, right, that's the good news. <laughs> so the good news is the side effects are, you know, nice vitamin C increase, and you've got some antioxidants and some good stuff in your system. And it's not going to, and if somebody's on, if someone is on pharmaceutical medication for something no else, okay, no interaction. No interaction whatsoever. It's a food substance. Dr. Maloney, we're, and listeners, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to come back and continue the discussion, and we will also start taking questions after this break. You're listening to Healthy Options and our discussion on flu vaccines and immunity with Dr. Christopher Maloney. Welcome back, Cynthia Swan, Healthy Options, uh, 89.9 FM, WERU.org streaming, and 102.9 in Bangor. And my guest, Dr. Christopher Maloney, who can be reached at 623-1681, and website maloneymedical.com, and um, also email Maloney at hotmail.com. And our number for call-in is 1-866-625-9378. Let me say that again. 1-866-625-9378. Dr. Maloney, let's continue the conversation on other recommendations for people who have the flu. There's been a lot out about vitamin D, vitamin D3. The functional medicine people are um, really waving the banner. We've got the vitamin D console, doctor.org, uh, Dr. Cannell, talking about how important vitamin D is in immunity. Also, um, a lot of integrative practitioners have talked about those of us living in northern latitudes. We don't get enough of it, and we all need to supplement. What, what do you say to this? Uh, at this point, the vitamin D levels in, in, in Maine probably are, you know, statewide below what they need to be just for living. Um, we don't, I mean, it, it, my baseline for any individual is that because the, you might run into flack later on with your, your conventional doctors, you should probably have the vitamin D level checked. When I've had that done, even when I've put people on, you know, something like 1,400 a day, it's still below what they consider to be baseline normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have your vitamin D level checked, the trouble is, as I start seeing now on the other side, you know, alternative practitioners saying, oh, I'm going to do, we're going to do 50,000 units a day. And it makes me nervous because we were taught that 2,000 units was toxic. And it's not toxic. In fact, the only cases I could find on Medline that actually said there was any toxicity were people who had taken hundreds of thousands of units at a sitting. And the concern has always been that the vitamin D you took in would cause hypercalcemia, too right. much calcium, and, then, and heart arrhythmias heart as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, that hasn't been documented anywhere. It was, a, it was a generalized concern. The body's still got to activate that vitamin D. Um, so if, you take, if you're taking in lots of vitamin D, say, you know, 
you know, you're, you're following somebody's recommendation doing like two or three thousand units a day, um, it's not it still needs to be activated. It's still got the body's still going to have to bring it into a, an activated mode with using sunlight or ultraviolet. So it's not enough to just take the D. You got to get out into the sun as much as you can. And I know that's that's going to make the dermatologist really happy. But they're they're kind of wrong on this one. The vitamin D has been an immune modulator from the get go. Mm. Um, we it never really was a vitamin. It's very much of a hormonal action in the body. Um, and it doesn't, I saw animal studies showing its immune effects back in the early 90s, and I thought, this is interesting. Why are we not talking about D more? Right. Um, at this point, personally, I've taken as much as 10,000 units in a day, no side effects. I can tell you deep winter, say February, just taking 1,000 or more, boy, what a difference in your mood. Right. Well, and I know some of the functional medicine people have right. recommended that, like uh, Mercola also, right. that 50,000 I use a day um, for like three days if you have the, if you do come down with the flu right. uh, to help boost you up. Um, I think we have a caller here. So um, let's go ahead and right. welcome caller if you'd like to tell us your name and the town you're calling from and your question or comment. Uh, sure. This is Lori from Stonington. And um, my question is a little bit off topic. I hope you don't mind, but you were talking about autoimmune diseases mm-hmm. and asthma and um, vaccinations and stuff. And I, um, my son has asthma. I recently have just run across a whole bunch of articles that I found totally fascinating and I'd never heard before, which is that <clears throat> um, people or primates generally have have co-evolved with intestinal parasites and um, that they've discovered that having um, a case of hookworm actually cures people of asthma and that in third world countries where many people have intestinal parasites, um, they don't have the autoimmune diseases. And I just wonder if um, Dr. Maloney has heard about this and uh, what you may think of it and... um, I, looking around, I see that there there is no such treatment uh, in the United States. Although apparently there is a clinic in Mexico which will apply a um, um, apparently a, a, a on the skin um, um, a bunch of hookworm eggs that have been sterilized, so they won't, I guess, reproduce, so that your body flushes them out after nine months. But apparently, it's like um, an incredible cure for people with asthma and certain autoimmune diseases. Have you heard of it? I honestly haven't heard of the hookworm, hookworm cure, oh. um, but I've, I, I would say that there's a lot of credibility to the idea that basically, um, yes, we were used to dealing with a lot more gut bugs. Well, that's why you were recommending the probiotic right, earlier. The probiotics. Well, you actually, you can statistically show that basically kids who are, you know, in the cleanest homes are actually at the worst risk. And basically, the kid needs to be exposed to all kinds of bacteria down below, and that will redirect uh, the gut to actually, you know, all the immune system will go there rather than coming out into the surface of the skin or up into the lungs. Um, yeah, so. I'm, I'm definitely not the cleanest housekeeper, so no one could accuse me of inflicting <laughs> <laughs> my son on a clean household. But, uh, but it is sort of, a, I guess, a genetic predisposition in yep. my family because my yep. uh, father and aunt had um, um, problems of that sort. Um, <clears throat> but I gather what the hookworm does is it releases something that sort of calms the immune system. Yes. 
Um, so it, it is not attacked itself. Of course, there are uh, downsides to having parasites, but um, uh, and I undoubtedly the pharmaceutical industry is busily looking for a way to synthesize and patent something. Right. Um, and probably that's why you don't hear about it much in the U.S. at this point. But it was actually there was something on BBC the other day, and uh, a lot of excitement with the research. So. Interesting. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're going to they're come out with the, um, they're going to find something that they can basically patent. Yeah, and make a ton of money on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, thank you for your question. We really appreciate okay, it. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Dr. Maloney, I, I want to go back to um, our conversation about the, um, about treatments and in terms of, and also in terms of general immunity. So to, to back it up, we talked about elderberry, you talked about probiotic, um, gut health, um, talked about vitamin D3 levels, and um, what else? What, what other kinds of, um, uh, what other kinds of things can the general public do to uh, help themselves if they get the flu? And then let's uh, segue into what people can do in general to really boost their immune systems. Okay. So uh, actually, we're just... Uh, <laughs> which I'm, uh, okay, I'm still thinking about hookworms. Oh, yeah, um, I know. <laughs> but <laughs> I know I, I'm going to say that, 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 that there is a much more well-adjusted therapy where you can actually do um, slit therapy, which is sublingual um, therapy, and that actually does bring down asthma statistically over a 10-year period. You can actually gradually introduce whatever their, as their asthma is, you know, against or what their, what their body is responding to, and that the body will actually down-regulate that immune response over time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's important. For, for, for people to keep from getting the flu, a lot of people have asked me, well, should I take um, oxalococcinum, uh, homeopathic, um, right. you know, the flu thing, and Oxalococcinum is really, really well marketed, but it only prevents the flu by about six hours. It only brings it down about six hours. Um, I'm actually a huge fan of garlic. Mm. Yes, <laughs> yes. Fresh garlic will kill anything that amoxicillin will kill except for the pneumonia bug. And yes, so we've, fresh... we've had a local herbalist on some time ago, and she gave a recipe with honey, mm -hmm. uh, chopped up organic onion, chopped mm -hmm. up organic garlic, and she said put it on your counter. Um, yeah. and put it in a jar, fill it up with the honey, shake it, you know, a couple times every day, and let that be your syrup. Yeah, that's, it, that's, a, good, that's, a, that's a good recipe. I just, do, I just throw chunks of, chunks of raw garlic into, a, like, a pasta sauce or an olive oil and then have that. And it basically what it's doing is it's an oil-soluble oil antibiotic uh, that you're taking in large quantity that's going to transfer through your body and out in your breath and everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically acting to not necessarily kill the virus in the upper sinuses as much as to kind of bring down the overall count throughout the body. Um, so you basically, you're, you're doing the same thing as people used to use or still do use antibiotics today. They'll give you an antibiotic for what is a viral infection for your kid's ear or an upper respiratory infection, and then this virus up there. Mm -hmm. But if you, in many kids, if you kill everything else in the system, the immune system has a chance to go up there and, and, uh, and clean up the virus itself. Great. We have another caller, yep. and um, welcome caller, if you want to give us your name and the town you're from and address your question or comment. Becky Wentworth from Blue Hill. Okay. I have a, a lot of autoimmune issues, but um, I, it's the elderberry when you mentioned elderberry, uh, elderberry causes my 
blood vessels in my eyes to burst, as well as aspirin or anything that has salicylic acid. Did I pronounce that right? So, um, yeah. (laughs) So, um, but the garlic sounds like a good alternative, but I just, um, you know, it sort of takes that, that, that group of, uh, stuff away from me, and I just wondered if you knew anything other yes. than, I do, I do, you know, I'm interested in the probiotics and garlic, but... But you're looking um, for something of, else. Well, I just, you know, I feel like I'm lacking. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I can live without it. Or maybe you can explain it. <laughs> Nobody else has so far. So, so what happens is that you're, 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 you get vessels popping in the eye when you take any... Yeah, it looks like somebody punched me in the eye. Not the black mm-hmm. and blue, but the, you know, there's a hematoma around the, the mm-hmm. uh, iris. Right, so the capillary beds are basically expanding and they're not strong enough to hold. Ah. So what's happening there? Now, between times, are you taking tons of ascorbic acid or vitamin C? No, I sort of stay away from it. I'm nervous. Right, well, I, I, would, I would agree with that, that general idea, but uh, just in terms of... If you're if you're dealing with if you're dealing with multiple autoimmune illnesses, you've got to say, okay, wait a second. I my 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 immune system's already focusing on me way too much, and if I'm taking something and it's making my capillary beds expand in my eye, which is kind of a good thing if it's not rupturing, you kind of want more vessels there to kind of help things clean up faster. Ah, so it's it's that overexcited immune system. That's what they say. The same deal. Yeah. But what would happen if? Perchance you were to do something that was like a general, a general autoimmune, de, you know, down regulator, and uh, just thinking of something like Lifelament, just because it's common. It's, a, it's an herb that brings down. Um, uh, I, I can't recommend anything to you over the over the radio. Oh, I understand. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, the idea but is there, that it, for, for autoimmune there is, people... There are things like that that bring down the autoimmune system, is what you're saying. Right. There are things that you can do to downregulate. And then you wouldn't have as much of a reaction. Um, in terms of what else we've got, I w- didn't talk about these yet because they're kind of harder to get a hold of. But it might be worthwhile to look into and see if they're available. It's um, there's a uh, a, chi- a Japanese herbal medicine mm-hmm. that that kills the virus, and there's a uh, a, a plant, uh, yeah, a Thai plant that kills the virus. And these are both on my website, MillennialMedical.com. At the bottom, what, of course, treatment do you recommend to patients with the flu? And I've got the, I've got the actual Medline citations up there. Um, I just didn't think these were going to be easy for people to find, but it's probably worthwhile to do a little bit of a search, especially the Japanese herbal. That should be available. I would mostly check with a pharmacist uh, or somebody, uh, actually an alternative pharmacist, Mm-hmm. Um, to see like if, there's, Portland there? right, if they've got the salicylic acid in that, in that formula. And otherwise, that might work well oh, for you. I, pron- I pronounced it right. It's <laughs> <That's Yeah>. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would try that. Uh, what was that website again? Uh, MalonyMedical.com. Oh, Maloney. Oh, yours. Okay. Yeah, my name and medical.com. Actually, you can just type in Christopher Maloney on Google, and I'll come up on the first page. And you'll pop up. And that has the name of that Japanese. It's got both. It's got the Japanese formula. It's got the citation right there, and it's also got the, the Thai, the thai um, herb that does the same thing. These are both things that worked really well, um, yeah, better than uh, the Tamiflu for the flu. Okay. And, um, you know, with this autoimmune issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you mentioned about that subgroup with the, um, you know, the vaccinations, yep. 
boy, do I react weird to vaccinations. I cannot, I'm scared of all vaccinations. Right. <laughs> I get high temperatures. I, my body just goes nuts with those things. Right. It doesn't, it's, it's not, you, it's, 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 we're really playing Russian roulette with you. You know, it's not, not a good plan. She put a subgroup on my forehead here. There you go. There you go. All right, take care. I love this show. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Um, yep. You're listening to Healthy Options on 89.9 FM and 102.9 Bangor and streaming WERU.org. We're talking about vaccines and the flu and immunity. And my guest is Dr. Christopher Maloney, who is in Augusta. And phone number 623-1681 and website Maloney, M-A-L-O-N-E-Y, medical.com. And you can feel free to call in a question if you'd like at 1-866-625-9378. So, Dr. Maloney, let's, let's go back to immune system boosters because I'm, I, I think that um, we would probably be in agreement that the healthier the immune system is, the less likely one is to contract, right. um, well, any, almost any form of disease. Um, so supplementation, should one supplement daily and is that unique to the individual or are there specific supplements that everyone should be on? And the reason I ask this question is not only about the vitamin D, uh, concern, but also selenium that there's, that our soils are depleted of it. Mm -hmm. And so that perhaps that's a mineral that we would need to, uh, supplement. It, it, that is absolutely yes. That's very true. And the best form, <laughs> the best form of selenium to absorb is selenomethionine, which is found in large quantities in garlic. In garlic. Okay. <laughs> We're back to the garlic. But but moving forward on on what you can do to increase your immune system, and it's it's fascinating because we lose sight of. You know, if people said to me, "Well, what should I take?" I'd say, "Are you sleeping?" Oh, no, I'm not sleeping, but what should I take? I'm like, if you're not sleeping, you need to sleep. Then you can take whatever you want. But pretty much if you drop, it was at 8%. And actually, by the way, I'm writing a, a book on flus and colds and how to prevent them without going to the ER. But so part of my research was looking up, you know, lifestyle stuff. 8% mm -hmm. decrease in sleep, you know, quality of sleep. If you spend about 10% or less than 10% of your time awake in bed, you have about five times the chance of getting the flu. So if, you know, for my patients who have insomnia, the first thing I do is say, we've got to get you sleeping. Let's figure out what we can do, how to get that going. Uh, the other one is stress. And this is where I, I really feel like we've fallen down as a public health group, for, as doctors. We're terrifying people about this flu. And the stress alone doubles their risk of getting it. Oh, yeah. People are, people are really, um, like, some people are really wringing their hands over this. I know some mothers, should I get my children vaccinated? I, I don't really know what's in the vaccine. I don't have enough information. And now we're getting some of these major public health officials even coming out and saying they're not going to vaccinate or get their children vaccinated. Right. And then we've got the CDC really pushing us and uh, many medical doctors really pushing their right. patients to get vaccinated. Right. But in terms of supplementing every day, my answer is that everything that I give my patients, I say, you're going to notice a difference from this. If you don't notice a difference from it, don't take it. Uh, and the reason for that is that there are, I mean, we do have, we have some studies that say people who supplement every day live longer. Um, but we also have studies like the studies on women with cancer who are doing mega doses of supplements and actually died sooner. And if you look at that, you go, what does it mean the system was? I'm like, yeah, they weren't being very specific about what they were giving their body. They are giving their body a ton of the supplement to have their body liver process that out. 
and their body couldn't focus on the cancer. Mm-hmm. So it's for, for everything that I do, everything I take personally, I expect to see a result. And, and very much along the lines of, I mean, why do people take aspirin? It's because they're going to have, you know, if you don't, you shouldn't take aspirin every day just because you want to take aspirin. You should take it because it's actually helping you. Um, if I take a multivitamin, I want to see a difference. For me, unfortunately, and I've noticed a number of patients this way, if I take a multivitamin, a standard multivitamin, mm-hmm. it irritates the heck out of my bladder. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's the, the, the bright fluorescent color that you're getting there is actually, for the most part, uh, from, a, you know, it's, it's vitamin B, but it's been created by a, a pharmaceutical company from basically petrochemicals or, or, or gasoline derivative and built up into vitamin D but, or B, but it's, not, it's no longer looking anything really like what you would find in a food. Um, and so for when we, you know, if a, also just in passing, even if you find a completely helpful supplement group, after about three years, people tend to come off their supplements. Whereas mm-hmm. if I do diet change that actually works for them, they actually like and they'll, they'll keep going, they don't need to, I don't have to see them again and again and remind them to take their supplements. They actually, over, over a 10-year period, will continue to at least keep one or two of those changes in their diet. So it's, it's not a question of should we supplement, it's a question of as a group, as a population, we tend not to continue our supplements very long. And I think the answer there is that when it, we don't notice a great benefit, a great deal of benefit from the supplements, it, 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 there's no reason, you know, we might think, oh, I should do this, but after a while you kind of forget. Whereas the ones that, you know, the people that I have no problem with are the ones who say, you know, hey, that stuff, I ran out of it and I feel terrible. I'm like, yes, that you'll need. Right. So right. those things, and there's, a, there's so many things that you can take. It's just so wonderful that, you, you know, I have patients who say to me, you know, help me, solve, help me solve polycystic ovarian syndrome, help me solve something else, and I'm like, here's this, here's this herb that's specific to that problem. Um, and they take that and they get dramatic differences, and they really, you know, they love this herb. It's great. But if before I saw them, they were taking, you know, a, a grocery bag full of, you know, stuff that, didn't do that much for them. Well, it also no. lends itself to, uh, this would be a whole other show, but the discussion of not all supplements are created equal. No, no. Um, they're, 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 and that's the dilemma for many people. I mean, uh, some people purchase their supplements only from their health care provider, but I have to right. say some of the criticisms I've heard on that end is it's so expensive. I walk out from my health care provider and I've spent $250 just on supplements. Right. And um, a lot of times these providers, they're paying out of pocket also because they don't have insurance. So it can get right. rather costly for people. It's very expensive. I, I'm actually, I don't sell things from my office because that was that exact problem. I have a great, what I found myself doing was giving them the supplement because I felt <laughs> so guilty about, you know, here's the thing, darn thing's 50 bucks. Here, just take it. You know, it's just that I have was, to say, you're, that's, that's rare. You're, it, you're a rare gem. Very rare. Well, I, I was, I, I, I'm lousy at selling those things. <laughs> <laughs> this damn. I, I sell information. I sell ideas. I sell hope. Mm-hmm. I sell hope for people who basically have no, uh, you know, they've been told to go home and live with something that's terrible. Right. And, and if I can find a solution for them and then we find them, you know, we get the stuff for them from somewhere and you, then they try it. You had that on your website. Yeah. You had something. If you get hit by a car, go and see your MD. If you feel like you got hit by a car, that's when right. you need to come see me. I yeah, thought that was rather humorous. And um, we, we have another caller yeah, here. Let's go ahead and take this caller. Yeah. Um, welcome. And why don't you give us your name and the town you're from? Um, this is Peggy from Ellsworth. Uh, I have a couple of questions about we have, like, um, that 
selenium. I understand 200 milligrams is max for, you know, a healthy diet. And how do you keep track of that if you're concerned about poison, you know? Also, I thought A comes along with D when you're getting um, the D supplements, and A is also kind of toxic. Um, I, I'm just trying to figure out how you can tell, you know, when you, if you eat a healthy diet and you do, you know, have these supplements, um, how do you keep yourself from kind of like going over the edge and making things worse? You want to respond to that, Dr. Maloney? Sure. I, I just want you to know we've got like four minutes left, so we have oh, to I know. be fast. I, I can't go no, we love that was a great question. I okay. just want to give the doctor some time to respond to you. Sure. Okay, so the selenium 200 is actually 200 micrograms, not milligrams. Ooh, that's even smaller. Tiny little amount. Yeah. So basically that's six Brazil nuts. Yeah. That'll, that'll fill up. Your, that's your, you're good for the day. A big, a big salad, you're good yeah. for the day. Um, the days that you're not good are the days you went out and ate, ate out. Uh, but the selenium itself, if you said to me, well, 200 micrograms, my answer is um, predominantly what you want to do is if you, if, if you like garlic, if you like garlic, you just take it to taste and you'll be hitting your selenium just fine. If you don't like garlic, um, get yourself some Brazil nuts. If you don't like Brazil nuts, we have to talk. Do they have to be organic? They don't have to be organic. No, this, is, this is the norm from the USDA. What about the raw foodies, what they say about the nuts, that they're so better when they're soaked because they have they're certain better, toxicants on the yeah, outside? The acid and that, that whole process, yes. That, that, will, that, that can confuse things, but if I tell all my patients to soak all their nuts, <laughs> they don't get in there. Yeah, that's that's even worse. <laughs> this oh. is true. So it's better to, to not soak them and eat them. Right, to get them in. Whatever, okay. you know, if you can soak them and there's the whole crowd, I love them to pieces, and they're just dedicated. <laughs> yes, yes, th that raw food uh, group is really dedicated. The, yep, the A and D process, the beta carotene, uh, no toxicity. You can even turn orange drinking carrot juice and not have liver toxicity. Uh -huh. So go for the beta carotene, avoid the retinoids, the straight retinoids, the vitamin A. That was the problem. It doesn't, the body doesn't like that and doesn't know what to do with the straight A. It loves beta carotene, though. And actually, you'll see mixed beta carotenes as being a big part of the D. Okay. Uh, so there's not a lot of A in when, uh, like if you're doing cod, cod liver oil and, and the fish you oil? You can get it with A in there, but it's usually been added. Okay. Not, I'm sorry. Okay. We have okay. to end it there. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm okay. going to give you Dr. Maloney's information again before we end. It's Doc Leroy Maloney at Hotmail.com, phone number 6231681. And he's uh, on Drew Street in Augusta and MaloneyMedical.com. Dr. Maloney, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be on the show and take time out of your patient schedule to join us and share your wealth of information. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to Amy Brown, the engineer of the show. And I just want listeners to know that on October uh, 28th, I have guest Neil Z. Miller of the Think Twice uh, Global Institute for Vaccination, who will be doing another uh, show on this topic because we think it's timely and important for information to be disseminated. I'm Cynthia Swan. Thanks for listening to Healthy Options. Support for WERU comes from Inner Tapestry, a holistic journal celebrating and supporting life, featuring alternative health and natural living articles, calendar listings, and a directory of resources. Available at health food stores and alternative health centers, 799-7995 or innertapestry.org.